Das ist für die Scheiße. Wie geht? Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen, wa al-aqibatu lil-mutaqeen, wa la udwana illa ala zalimeen, wa salabatullahi wa salamuhu ala ashraf al-almiyai wa al-mursaleen, Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Allahumma la sahla illa ma ja'altahu sahla, wa anta tajlul hazna idha shi'la sahla. Allahumma a'inna ala dhikrika wa shukrika wa hisna ibadatik ya Rabbil Kareem. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Good evening. Uh, wonderful, of course, to see everybody back. I was just thinking on the way to the masjid. I think two and a half years ago, can you believe, was the last lesson that we had in this masjid of logical progression. Two and a half years. And immediately when that thought came to my mind, I remembered the hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu that at the end of time, time itself will go by in a way which is not possible to understand. I mean, I know that a lot of things have happened, but even with all of that, to imagine that two and a half years have passed since we were gathered, you know, uh, studying here. In actual fact, um, some of those last lessons were during the beginning of the coronavirus uh, outbreak, right? Before it became a pandemic. And I remember that part of the lessons were dedicated to speaking about the etiquette of sneezing and keeping clean and the importance of hygiene and the importance of taking medication. And then subhanAllah, look what it turned into. And then when I came to the uh, salah, um, and I realized that I was right at the back, the masjid was absolutely packed. And it was packed because everybody is packed together. And I said, subhanAllah, what a contrast to just very little time ago, not the two and a half years ago, but even six months ago, when the restrictions upon gathering and being together <coughs> were still intense and and unnecessary and that should make us reflect and thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for his infinite mercy that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not lifted because it's not gone and that's very very important but lightened the impact of this uh, trial that he sent upon this world upon this ummah I think more so and then the world at a greater uh, extent why because for the kuffar uh, isolationism and individualism is a key objective, right? They're, they're in, one of their objectives for their wealth and their focus on the dunya is to be able to look after the me, me, myself and I. Priority always for the kuffar, it's something which is very, their, their way of life, whatever religion uh, they end up uh, going with, but the popular kind of secular humanist movement in the West, it is about taking care of the self before anything else God Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala values ethics take a second uh, back seat always and so for them uh, that's why Netflix went through the roof home XYZ went through the roof uh, you know all the kind of isolationist stuff that people were doing anyway tripled quadrupled and whatever but for the Muslims it hits us very very hard very hard um, and that's for a number of reasons, but the primary one is because <coughs> Muslims are Ahlul Sunnati wal Jama'ah. We are the people of the Sunnah of the Prophet, and we are the people of coming together, being together, the congregation. And uh, uh, every single act that we do, if we do it as a congregation, it is better. It's one of the unique things about our deen that any kind of study that we do, it is better to do it amongst others. It's very interesting that you might be studying yourself. 
reading yourself, learning by yourself, yet the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ is talking about the halaqatul dhikr. So not just the one who is, I mean, don't get me wrong, the one who is doing dhikr by themselves, one who's studying and by, by definition doing dhikr by themselves, is of course at a very high level. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala praised that person, the Prophet ﷺ praised that person specifically in, in a number of our hadith. But the big, the big kind of, uh, uh, the big work, the big reward is always done in the jama'ah because it's more effort, because it requires, it, uh, it takes a person out of their comfort zone. You are exposed to uh, a number of challenges when you're in that. Um, but then the, the positives are also very, very important to take benefit from. The motivation you get from others, the things that you learn from others. Uh, we're doing currently, obviously we're in the book of Salah, we've been in there for a few years now. We're currently in the book of Congregation um, and the Congregational Prayer, I mean. And one of the absolute key reasons that the obligatory prayer is obligatory upon men and in my opinion recommended upon women as well when it is not contradicting an, a higher obligation. So you know there's a big debate about whether women should be coming to the masjid. Some said no, no, not at all. Others said it's allowed. And the minority position is that it is recommended. None of course said it's obligatory. I'm somewhere in between permissible to recommend it unless there is a higher obligation that they're fulfilling by looking after someone or home or kids or whatever. And one of the key reasons obligatory upon the men, recommended upon the women, generally obligated upon the ummah is because they learn about the prayer when they're with other people. They learn from watching others. They, we imitate as a, as a rule. The Quran, for example, is refreshed in our hearts and minds when we are exposed to it from the Imam reciting. There's a difference when you're reciting by yourself. When you pray by yourself, you, you tend to go into autopilot. You tend to stick to the same surahs. You tend to not produce the qualities that you, the quality that you would normally. When you go to the masjid, you will have an enhanced experience, even if you didn't intend it. You, just by accident, it will get better. And so, um, the congregation is so important for the Muslims, so important for us. And I, I remind myself and yourselves that every opportunity now that you can take to get back to not just normality, we, we, you know, we're not people who think that 2019 was some kind of peak of, of Islamic civilization. 2019 was just another step in what we should be going to, which is that as many congregational events, circles, classes, uh, uh, trips, everything that you can think that the Muslims should be together on, they should be there and you should be in that and you should be promoting it at every level, at every single level. So this is a blessing. Two and a half years, subhanAllah, we were prohibited, we were prevented, and um, this is just the fadl of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Anyway, alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, year 11, that's insane as well. As yani, tabarak rahman 11, 11th year. 10 years I've been leaning against this wall. Crazy. And it survived, as Bobby J just said. Cheeky fish, see that? It's had some weight on it, you know? Varying weight levels, yeah? Which is, it ain't helped, it ain't helped by, by stuff like this, is it? Timbits, okay. Now this will go round. How are we going to divide these boys? Right? It's going to have to be a little nibble each and then pass on, isn't it? And kids get a double nibble. That's a hadith in Sahih Muslim, by the way. Right? In the hadith in Sahih Muslim, one uh, person came to the Prophet um, So what would happen is that the Prophet would often be brought gifts in the masjid. And obviously the companions always used to be with him. 
Anas, yes, Anas, yeah. I was just trying to remember who the, the, the Rawi was. And uh, uh, Anas is the one who's narrating. Now, Anas, of course, was the servant of the Prophet ﷺ, and he was a young boy, he was 10 years old, you know, he was a young, young, young kid. And uh, I explained this in Protect This House, that if any of us adults like uh, sweets or any kind of food, then you should know whether you think or not. And unless you're that random kid, you know, the one that's uh, on Facebook or something, the kid that keeps pushing all the flipping chocolates away and takes the broccoli. You've seen that one? Yeah? That kid's obviously, yeah, obviously something wrong there, yeah? But the exception of the universe. But it's the craziest thing. You know, the parent pushes the chocolates, then another plate of chocolates, and then the, and the kid goes, nah, 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 keeps pushing away. And then the kid, uh, the mum gives him a plate of steaming broccoli. Got some broccoli. Kid's eyes light up, grabs the broccoli stuffing in its mouth, yeah? So obviously that, you know, he's one of a billion. But the rest of Insa are normal human beings, right? If you like something sweet, then kids are going to like it more. And that's what you have to remember. So this hadith is very interesting because uh, the Prophet ﷺ would often be brought gifts, and gifts would be a sweet dish. So there was like a plate of halwa that was brought, right? And, uh, and so the Prophet ﷺ sent it to the end. And, uh, you know, subhanAllah, I've got doubt whether it's Abu Huraira or whether it's Anas, but I think it's Anas. Anyway... Um, and he said that he gave it to the end companion and each one would take a spoonful and then pass it to the next, sharing the spoon, 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 spoon. And then Anas, if I'm wrong, said that it came to me and I was near the Prophet and I took my spoon and I gave it to the Prophet and the Prophet gave it back to me and said, you take a second one. So he got a second spoon and from that the ulama said that children should get double dose of sweets, thingy. You see, I'm the nice sheikh. You see what I'm saying, guys? Yeah, right. That's right. No, no. Okay, son gets triple. Yeah, no problem. So I think from based upon this hadith, I think that we can send these round. Everyone can have a nibble. Kids can have a double nibble. Shaz has nothing because the guy's put on weight. He's been turkey and stuff eating. Yani, mashallah, tabarakal rahman. Then went and told everybody that he's gone to Spain to do a charity uh, bike ride uh, for the masjid. Charity bike ride sp riding in Spain. Can you imagine that one? Huh? I've heard blags in my life, but that's mashallah, <laughs> the top blag. And then we found out, I'm not going to say who because I never ever embarrassed Shaz, yeah? But people of his group were using electric bikes. <laughs> electric bikes. I'm not going to say who. But Shaz and Zafar were in that group. Charity, getting no, people. Huh? No, don't be trying to making subgroups. Why are you making fitna for? Why are you making fitna and creating groups? Listen, it was a group that went and told everybody, sponsor us while we go and ride. Big K is my witness. Big K at the back there sent me the evidence. Okay, Big K went as a support, and that was clear. You know, when a person says, "I'm the support guy," I drive the car. You know, snacking. And I just keep an eye, an eye on the rest of the people. We support that guy because you've got to have a support guy. But those that are going, we're going to cycle for the masjid. If you can pay us 50, 60 quid, whatever, whatnot, 100 quid, whatever. And then go and then take out electric bikes. I'm not saying Shazad and Zafar did that, but they were part of the group. And I'm not there to name people, so maybe. But I'm just saying, what's all that about? 
So he went on the black yani thing there and then he comes back and then goes on holiday and eating and he takes the Turkish kind of, you know, the all resort thing in Majig. All resort one, yeah? Every, eat everything kind of thing. Yeah. All, that one. Was it, was it, yeah, eat anything you like. So Shaz can't have any. Actually, no, I'll, I'll make it. Shaz can have the vegan healthy bakwas, whatever this is, yeah? So we've got two bags of not, some... Not, not, not the chocolate orange, yeah, crispies. Why are you hating on chocolate orange crispies for? See, proper fitna he is this guy, isn't it? So anyway, we've got some healthy sweets as well. We'll give that out as well, actually. Uh, although someone's going to have to remind me 10 minutes before so that uh, no one thinks that I'm uh, nicking them all. All right, let's jump into, uh, the, uh, pro, uh, into the subject. Uh, anything that I want to say at the beginning? Yeah, I think what I want to do is just give a quick recap of what we were covering uh, towards the last few lessons, because obviously it's been a while. Uh, uh, we've just obviously come back from the break, so it's been about three, four months. Um, so we were doing the chapter of congregation. The text is on, if you're at home, uh, online. Shout out to all the folks that have uh, that are online. Shout out to everybody that took the exam this week. For those folks that didn't get the chance, then you have an opportunity this coming Saturday and Sunday as well to have a go. And have a go, right? We don't take it, you know, so serious that it's the be all and end all everything, but it's a good, you know, marker for where you are. Um, very easy to take and very easy to mark as well. Um, so just to review some of this material very, very quickly. It is required for men to pray in congregation. This is the humbly position. This is our class position as well, meaning it is obligatory, right? For the five daily prayers, but it is not a condition. Condition means that if, for example, you did end up having to pray at home, then according to the humblies, you've done something haram, but your prayer is still valid. Legally, that's the difference when you make a statement saying that it's an obligation, but not a condition. It means that if you prayed at home, you did something that is not allowed, but the prayer is still authentic. You don't have to repeat the prayer. The congregation can be performed in his home, this form of congregation, if he did pray at home. It is recommended for border guards to pray in a single mosque. We're not going to go into the detail, of course. The notes are all there. Mason, the team, they've transcribed absolutely everything for those that want to go and do a quick review. Uh, for others, it is better to pray in a mosque that would not establish the, con the congregation without him, meaning they're dependent upon that uh, person, then the mosque that has the larger congregation, then the mosque which is oldest. The further away the mosque, the better, just generally because it takes more effort, and anything in Islam that takes more effort is more rewarded. Yeah? It is prohibited to lead in a mosque without the permission of the official imam, or unless he is excused. Whoever prays and then the obligatory prayer is established, it is a sunnah to repeat his prayer with them, except for Maghrib. It is not disliked to repeat a congregational prayer other than in the two mosques of Mecca and Medina. If the prayer is established, there is no other prayer to be offered, offered other than that obligatory prayer. If one is praying a supererogatory prayer at that time, a supererogatory prayer is our English translation for the word nafal, yeah? what people often call voluntary which is an incorrect translation because voluntary means something that you should do voluntarily and that's not what sunnah or nafal is. Sunnah or nafal is something that you are required to do but not obligated to do. It's not voluntary, right? It is supererogatory, right? Um, so if one is praying one of these nafal prayers, then he should complete it and if you're nearly there at the end, then get it over and done with unless he fears that he will miss the congregation in which case he cuts the prayer. So if this person recognizes that, no, I'm, uh, I'm praying two rakah, I'm still at Fatiha on the first rakah, there's no chance. You just basically just exit that prayer and then uh, join the imam. Uh, this is like, you know, uh, 
uh, Fajr is a good example, or actually any uh, Dhuhr would be an example. Any Sunnah prayer that you've come to the mosque before the Imam has started, the Iqamah suddenly goes and they're jumping in, that's when you've got to make the assessment and then if necessary break the prayer. And then the last paragraph that we covered uh, uh, in, the, in the year 10 was, and whoever utters the takbir, meaning whoever says Allahu Akbar, before the salam of his Imam. So this is the latecomer, a person that we call the masbuq, so the one who comes late to the masjid, and the Imam is, is sitting there giving uh, in the tashahud, he's about to give salam, but you've been able to say Allahu Akbar before he says, Assalamu Alaikum, yeah? So if that person says takbir, then he has caught the congregation, meaning he got the reward of the congregation, but also legally, he can now stand up and finish off whatever needs to be done. If he catches him in the ruku'ah, then he has caught that raka'ah, and the opening takbir is sufficient for him. Now I just want to explain this um, uh, in a, a, a bit more detail before we go on to the brand new paragraph, which is at the bottom, okay? And I want to just also cover a few hypothetical scenarios, not hypothetical, through a few scenarios which I don't think that I covered in the last lesson, right? And I, I was reading Sheikh Muhammad Mukhtar Shankiti's notes on this, and I thought, you know what? I don't think I said this, so it'd be nice to add to it. So um, let's, let's, uh, let's um, look at that. If he catches him in the ruku'ah, then he's caught that raka'ah. So if you walk in, this is the classical scenario that the imam is in ruku'ah, the congregation is in ruku'ah, you come late. Your aim is to try and get into that ruku'ah before the imam uh, 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 not stands up, but before the imam enters to the next stage of the prayer. We're going to talk about what the next stage is. Before the imam moves to the next stage of the prayer, you got to try and get that ruku'ah. If you get that ruku'ah, you caught that raka'ah. You don't owe anything. Everybody, everybody I think, understands that. All right? Um, and, but the second point is also very useful. According to the Hanabila, and actually a number of scholars, the opening takbir is sufficient. What do I mean by that? As I demonstrated last time, when you come late to a prayer, what are you going to do? You're going to set yourself in the line. You're not going to be you know, rushing and panting and running and all over the place. You come to a prayer calm, relaxed. As the Prophet said, calm, respect, honor, gravitas, dignity. Not you know, mad all over the place. You stand, compose, and you enter the prayer. You've got to enter the prayer, right? Allahu Akbar. And that's your takbiratul ihram. Your normal takbir. And if someone is in ruku'ah, if the imam is in ruku'ah, then there is a takbir to get to ruku'ah, isn't it? This is called takbiratul intiqal. These takbirat that are inside the prayer. Now those of you who have been studying with me will know that takbirs are of two levels. There are either, either arkan, meaning they are pillars of the prayer, meaning if you don't do them, the prayer is invalid. Or they are wajibat of the prayer, meaning that they should be done, but if they are not done, then they can be compensated. How are they compensated? If you are praying by yourself, imagine, you're praying Fajr at home, imagine, and you went to Ruku but forgot to say Allahu Akbar. You went into Ruku but you forgot to say Allahu Akbar. But then you remembered later on in the prayer. At the end, you compensate for that with the Sajda as sahum You do the Sajda to sahum and that will cover for that missing takbir. Why? Because it was obligatory. However, if you entered into that prayer and in the second raka'ah you realize that you completely forgot to say the opening takbir, the prayer is invalidated up until that point. Where you are at that point, right at that moment, you suddenly have to go Allahu Akbar and start the prayer again from that moment. 
Why? Because this takbir, the opening one, is a rukan, it's a pillow of the prayer. Its absence means the whole action is absent. You haven't even been praying, right? It's like a person who's got no wudu. You've, there's nothing there. So that shows the difference between the two. Now here we've got this unique scenario. When Imam's in ruku'a and you join the prayer, you've got to enter the prayer and then you've got to move into that position. Common sense says, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. And that's the recommended position by a number of scholars. Some said even obligatory. Others said, and I like this position, and this is what's being uh, expressed here by the Hanabila, uh, by the Hamli school, that the opening takbir is sufficient, i.e. the first one without the second one. Um, and that's mostly because whenever you miss an obligation in a prayer, and you are praying behind an imam, then one of the benefits of praying behind an imam is that he sucks up and soaks up all of your missing obligations. Right? That's one of the blessings of praying behind an imam. The mistakes that you make in a prayer, he covers for them. So therefore, you don't need to do such... There's no such thing as a person, for example, finishing with an imam and doing such the same. It's not possible. Because any obligations you missed out, what other obligations would there have been? Subhana Rabbil Adim, you forgot to say that in Ruku'ah. Samiyallahu al-Muhammad when the Imam said, you forgot to say Rabbana wa lakal hamd. When you went into sajda, Subhana Rabbil Ala, you forgot. Let's just say that you were completely mind elsewhere, you forgot to say anything. All of these obligatory actions in the prayer, they are covered for by the Imam. They are covered for by the Imam. So this is one of the reasons why they said that if you didn't say the second takbir, then the first one covered for you. But as a practice, you should say the second one. All right? Now, few things that I want to cover um, from a fiqh point of view. The first one is in the, uh, the, 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 the paragraph before it. Uh, how, how would you, how do I put this in order? Um, it says that uh, if one is praying a supererogatory prayer, he should complete it unless he fears he will miss a congregation, in which case he cuts the prayer. Now the cutting of the prayer, I can't remember whether we spoke about that. Did we speak about that in the last lesson? About how you cut a prayer? Let me uh, ask you guys. How do you cut a prayer? How have you understood you cut a prayer? You break a prayer? Okay, just make the intention. Like, I'm not praying anymore and that's it. Alright, that's one answer. Anyone else? You have the intention and you give salam as well. So you intend to break the prayer and say salam as well. And a third opinion? And the third opinion, it's an obvious one, is just the salam, right? Because the hadith on the matter, uh, 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 the hadith on the entering and the exiting is that the takbir of the uh, tahrim is the entering and the taslim is the exiting. And so by definition, a person who says assalamu alaikum warahmatullah, they've exited the prayer. Uh, I think that the correct... I think that the safest and correct position is that a person makes the intention, but they should add the salam with it. That's the position of, a position of Sheikh Muhammad Mukhtar al-Shanqiti. If a person didn't do that, then he's following the position of the Hanafi school. Even though ironically it's the Hanafi school that would have a heart attack if a person just literally, you know, walked off from the prayer. But if the, uh, uh, that's the actual Hanafi position. Now, I don't know any other school that's not more strict on the issue of giving salams. And this is why I've told you many times that the modern day version of the Hanafi school and the actual fiqh Hanafi position are two different things. 
right? So the Jamhur, or not the Jamhur, well, yani you can say argue the majority of scholars, they said just by intention is sufficient. Uh, 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 you've got to give the salam. You've got, using this hadith, you've got to give the salam. There's a nos there. You're exiting the prayer. The hadith says that the entering of the prayer is the takbir. The exiting prayer, exiting of the prayer is the end. So therefore, what are you talking about? You want to exit the prayer, so you've got to use the salam. Abu Hanifa and some of the uh, uh, Ahlul Ra'i, some of the scholars of, yani, you know, whatever translation we want to give, they said, no, this hadith is referring to the beginning and the end of the prayer. So when you start the prayer, you enter it with the takbir, and when you end the prayer, you exit from it with the taslim. Make sense? And that's a good answer, actually. And they said that, so therefore, what is actually required is the intention. Intention is a condition. So uh, as a condition, if, some, if the condition is there, the act is there. And if the condition is gone, then the act is gone. And so when at the beginning you say, I am praying dhuhr, then you are praying dhuhr. But at the, same, at the very second that you said, you know what, I'm not praying dhuhr anymore. I'm just not praying anymore. You said that to yourself. I'm, I'm, I'm leaving this prayer. You've actually left the prayer. Muhammad Mukhtar Shankiti said, you know what, that might work. However, we also have that hadith that should be combined with it. So it's good to do both. And I like that. So that's the first point I wanted to say. That if you want to exit out of the prayer next time, then Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah, because that's what taslim means, right? It doesn't mean both. You can do both, by the way. But if you do one, it is sufficient. And that's the obligatory requirement anyway. And you have the intention to lead the prayer as well. It's not just some random just turn for the sake of it. You intend to break the prayer and turn and say Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Yeah. So that's the problem. They didn't, the majority of the scholars did not go into the detail of indicating that there needs to be an intention as well. They just kind of left it as salam. That's it. Salam. So we'll just give that extra detail and say whether it's a position of the majority or not, what we're saying is that that taslim must be done with the intention to break the prayer as well. Understood? Okay. That's uh, uh, that. The next issue I wanted to uh, look at was, um, what's the other one? Uh, six, six, five, six, so that's gone. What was the other thing I wanted to do? Oh, yeah, this is something interesting. Someone who comes to the prayer late. I don't know whether I mentioned this before. You might have seen it before. I mean, those who are in Egypt see it all the time. Those who have seen or lived with Egyptians or Malaysians during university or visited these countries, you'd see, you'd see it all the time. Very common in the Shafi'i kind of circles. And that is the person who comes late to a prayer. So he's late himself. He's a masbuq. But then he will stand up when the imam gives salam and he'll become an imam for the rest of the latecomers. Whether they're the current latecomers that are with him or future new latecomers, etc, etc. This is a unique situation which the other three imams and the majority of Muslims and scholars are like, whoa, what's happening here? My guy was a follower, suddenly he became imam. And it looks a bit of a, a shock. Um, the evidences would suggest that this is something which is permissible. Sheikh Mahmoud Mukhtar Shankiti certainly supports it. But he adds some conditions. And so I want you to just add a little bit of detail for your own benefit. So I want you to imagine 
that the Imam is in tatashahud about to say Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. He's about to exit from the prayer. And there's two or three of you that basically join the line behind the Imam and you guys are just about to make this prayer. You're going to say Allahu Akbar. Some scenarios are going to happen. When you line up and you all say Allahu Akbar and you all sit down, all two, three of you, all right? And you all start saying your attahiyatulillah. Suddenly the Imam says, Salaam alaikum wa rahmatullah. Salaam alaikum wa rahmatullah. And as he does the first and he does the second, it's clear that there's no sajda, there's no nothing. You're free now to stand up. The prayer is done. You stand up. If you stand up before the other two and you, with your hand or whatever, indicate you're taking over, in those cultures, by the way, in Egypt and Malaysia or whatever, you would do that and they would completely cotton on and they would form a line behind you. They would actually move and you'd move a little bit to the front. They would move behind you and they've understood because you have preceded them. Right? You've come to the fore in front. Obviously, if you did that in a pack mosque, they'd be like, what on earth is my guy doing? Yeah, and that would be like a madness. Yeah. So if this guy does that and he's got there in front of you, then... You can pray behind this guy and whatever. The other variation of this is uh, what some people do, which is on the way to the line, they can see this is touch and go. And he says to them, listen, I lead after. And that's what they do, right? I'll lead after, tells the other guys, they say, all right. They all enter the prayer. They all sit down. And then when the Imam says, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah, then they all stand up and you know he goes to the front. And what, these people are ready for that and a relationship has now uh, happened. Now the reason this is not a major big deal is because we do accept the changing of intention inside the prayer. The Prophet ﷺ went from a singular person to an Imam in the night prayer we know and that's the base hadith for this when Ibn Abbas came and joined him in the night prayer. Prophet ﷺ was praying by himself. Ibn Abbas came and joined him, joined on the wrong side, put him onto the other side, carry on, you can pray with me. His in intention was to pray by himself. He changed his intention to become an Imam. So there's space for that. So there's no real kind of problem with that. I just wanted to indicate that. However, if the other lot stand up before you, whatever, whatnot, then it's basically gone. The situation is gone. Stand up and just pray by yourself. Continue by yourself. Likewise, if you are in one of those environments where um, you're in a public place or a mosque or whatever, and you have just you have stood up late, all right, and you are praying, and someone comes and taps you on the shoulder because they saw that you were part of the, the congregation and they want the prayer to continue as such, then you would continue to be the imam for that person. Uh, just carry on. Whether that prayer is a loud prayer or a quiet prayer, regardless. So that's the second point that I wanted to uh, uh, mention. And then the final uh, uh, point I wanted to mention is what? And there was something else I wanted to say. No, I think that's it. I think that's it. All right, let's start our text. Jazz, if we do the Arabic then of the remaining... Or uh, the final kind of Ewa. Uh, uh, where are we? Naam. Wa yusannu, yeah? No, that's not it. Yeah. No, no, hold on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just that first sentence. Yeah, you're, you're the right place. So the Imam says if you highlight okay, yeah, that one there, just highlight there. So that's what we're going to be covering. وَلَا قِرَاءَةَ عَلَى مَأْمُومٍ وَيُسْتَحَبُّ فِي إِسْرَارِ إِمَامِهِ وَسُكُوتِهِ وَإِذَا لَمْ يَسْمَعْهُ لِبُعْدٍ لَا لِلطَّرَشِ That's the text that we're going to try to finish today in today's lesson. 
Okay, bring it down, Shaz. That's the last paragraph. And that translates as, the follower does not have to recite, although it is recommended to do so when the imam is silent, or whenever he pauses, or if he cannot hear him because he is too far away, unlike the case if there is something disturbing him. Now, I have to say that I don't like this translation. I don't know, I don't know what I was thinking when I translated it, but we'll, we'll discuss that when we come to it. So, again, just to understand what text we're covering today, the follower, so this is me being led by an imam, and the imam is praying Salatul Maghrib, like you just saw right now, and I'm behind the imam, and the uh, Hanbalis are saying that I don't have to recite. When the imam is reciting, I don't have to recite. Although it is recommended for me to recite when the imam is silent. Now, this is not referring to the silent prayers. This is referring to when the imam goes quiet, right? Some said it's referring to the, the silent prayers. It doesn't really matter. Or whenever he pauses, which I'm going to explain in a second as well. Or if he cannot hear him because too far away, meaning you're in one of these big kickoff masjids, the speakers are not working, and you're like 20 rows back, and you, it is a maghrib, but you can't hear him at all. So in this scenario, the Hanabil is saying that you should be reciting. It's good. It's recommended. But there is an exception to it when you shouldn't recite. And that is if there is something, and I've translated it here as an, unlike the case if there is something disturbing him. I know maybe why I recited, I, I, I said that. La tarash. Tarash means like deafness. Somam, yani when a person is like, uh, they're the problem, right? They're the issue. He's got a specific problem. That's actually what the text says. If he has a specific problem, then uh, uh, you don't basically recite out loud because you've got a specific problem. But if it's a general problem, then you do recite out loud. I'll just explain what I mean by that. A general problem is, 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 is distance. If there's a whole line of you that are 100 meters back in a congregational prayer and there's no speakers, then all of you can't hear. And when all of you can't hear, all of you are going to start reciting. And when all of you are starting to recite, you don't disturb one another because everybody's reciting. Does that make sense? Right? Whereas if you were a single person who's got your own problem because you are being disturbed by something is where I went, but actually because you're deaf or because you're hard of hearing, you don't recite. Because you are the only person who can't hear, you will start reciting and you'll disturb the rest of the people who are next to you who are then not going to be able to hear the imam. That's the meaning of that last statement. But if there is a reason that is affecting everybody, right, i.e. you're in a noisy mosque or whatever, then uh, it's good for you to uh, recite because everybody's being affected and nobody's being disturbed and nobody's being you know pushed aside so that's the uh text that we're going to cover all right Chaz, let's get back to the main screen um and let's jump into the uh text the commentary uh is on page 172 thank you mesa for that um why have i not got it on my screen Chaz? main screen thingy that's it where's the comments All right, so Sheikh Uthameen, all right, he says, that he's saying that the Hanbalis are saying that there is no need for there to be recitation from the Ma'moom. Ma'moom is the actual technical phrase for the one who is following the Imam. 
You are the leader when you are the imam. You are the follower when you are ma'mum, the one who follows the imam. All right. So Sheikh says that basically what they're saying is that it's not obligatory upon the ma'mum to recite anything with the imam, neither in a, a, a silent prayer, salatul sir or, or a sirriya, or in a salatul jahr or al jahriya, the loud prayers, maghrib, isha, fajr. Neither of them. You don't need to recite in any of them. Is what the Hanbali school is saying. Sheikh Uthameen says, well then, if you follow this opinion, then according to this, and this is obviously now tongue-in-cheek, what Sheikh Uthameen is going to say, but, but it's not, of course, right? فَلَوْ كَبَّرَ الْمَأْمُومَ الْإِمَامِ فِي أَوَّلْ رَكَعَةِ وَسَكَتَ حَتَّى رَكَعَ الْإِمَامِ ثُمَّ تَابَ الْإِمَامِ وَقَامَ لِلْرَكَعَةِ ثَانِيَةِ وَسَكَتَ حَتَّى رَكَعَ الْإِمَامِ ثُمَّ فِي يعني, If the person says, Allahu Akbar, with the Imam, and then says nothing in the beginning, in the standing, in the ruku', in the standing, in the sajda, just basically just stayed quiet and said absolutely nothing because they're following an imam, then according to this position, your prayer is valid. According to the Hanbali position, the prayer is valid. Of course, who else is the prayer valid according to, famously? The Hanafis. All right? In fact, they're far more famous for this position. The Hanafis are the founders, if you like, of this position that there is no recitation required when the imam is there and because of a few hadith that we're going to come to and uh, we'll talk about that but what's interesting for me always when you think about this is imagine how ordinary it is for you and how normal it is for you to recite in the prayer right and now imagine that there's a whole ummah of multiple generations over hundreds of years that when they're in the masjid They've never recited a single thing. And it blows my mind. Yeah, absolutely. Blow. And they've maintained focus in their prayer, stillness in the prayer, concentration in the prayer, not getting any help from what they're reciting. And I have no idea how they do that. It's a truly, like, it is a wonder of the world. I, 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 it's, it's, it's a madness. All right? Um, Sheikh says, what's their evidence? What's the evidence of the Hanafi school and the Hanbali school? Whoever has an imam, then the recitation of the imam is a recitation for him. The famous hadith. So whoever has an imam, then their recitation is a recitation for you. So the Hanafis and the Hanabila said, there you go. I'm with an imam and they're, they're uh, reciting. Uh, uh, so why do I need to recite? By the way, it gets... Ahlam is saying that's wild. It's wilder than that. That's in the silent prayer as well. When you can't even hear the imam. Now, we can understand the argument when the imam is reciting out loud. But then when you can't even hear the imam's qira'ah, it's still a qira'ah for you according to them. Because the hadith didn't mention whether you can hear the qira'ah. The hadith says that whoever has an imam, then the recitation of the imam. Now, of course, the imam is reciting. Theoretically, we don't know, right? It's quiet, right? But theoretically... His recitation is a recitation for you. And that's the Hanbali position, that's the Hanafi position. Alright? And Sheikh Uthameen says, and according to this position and according to this evidence, then this covers all the prayers. The quiet prayers, the, the, the loud prayers, and this is a uh, nos. This hadith, by the way, is narrated by Imam Ahmed in the Musnad, uh, volume 3, hadith number 339. Alright? Now, what's the problem? What did the majority of the scholars say? What did the uh, um, 
what does Sheikh Uthameen say? We can't accept this position, neither dalilan, neither aqlan. We can't take this position from a dalil point of view because this hadith is weak. Now the weakness of this hadith is pretty clear to be honest. This is a hadith which is a mursal hadith. We have a break in the chain, which is one of the most established ways of determining a hadith to be weak. As Ibn Kathir said in his tafsir, rahimullah, he said, إِنَّهُ رُوِيَ عَنْ مَوْقُوفًا وَهُوَ أَصَحْحٌ يعني that this is not a statement of the Prophet ﷺ, but rather the opinion of Jabir ibn Abdullah and his statement, not a statement of the Prophet ﷺ. وَقَالَ الْحَافِذُ ibn Hajar فِي الفتح. So Ibn Hajar al-Asqalani, the famous commentator of Bukhari, he said in his book Al-Fath al-Bari, he said, إِنَّهُ ضَعِيفٌ عِنْدَ الْحُفَّاظِ That those who are the, the leaders of hadith, the memorizers, the hufad, meaning that the scholars of hadith, basically the muhaddithun, this hadith is daif, as simple as that. Those who know, know. That's what he's basically saying. Those who know, know. Actually, Bukhari himself, Imam al-Bukhari, he said this hadith is daif mursal. It is not accepted as an evidence. So that should end, be the end of the matter. All right? But still, when you consider a hadith to be weak, it's a matter of opinion because it's all about making assessment on a narrator. And if you think the narrator is to be rejected, then you've got to justify that. And others will give evidences to suggest why the hadith narrator shouldn't be rejected, for example. Anyway, what does Sheikh Uthameen say? So he goes, well, if this hadith is weak, then we can't make istidlal. Istidlal means we can't derive an evidence. That's what istidlal means, to seek a dalil, istidlal. So you can't seek an evidence from this. We can't use it for an evidence. Why? Because This is a nice benefit for everybody. Sheikh says that to make a, to derive an evidence from a hadith has two conditions. To derive an evidence from a hadith has two conditions. The first is that the hadith must be authentic. The second is that the istidlal must be authentic. Meaning that if the hadith is not authentic, then what are you doing in the first place? You're making istidlal from weak hadith. So that's gone. Second, that your istidlal must be authentic. Uh, uh, meaning that if the hadith says that uh, 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 okay, the hadith says that there is nothing heavier in the scales than good character. Therefore, it is clear that you do not need to recite behind the imam. Do you understand what I mean? The hadith is sahih, but what's your istidlal? Yani what's, how did you derive that evidence from that hadith? Your methodology or your attempt at deriving evidence was, was, was bogus, basically. It was wrong. It was, it was invalid. So these two things have got to be authentic. First, the hadith, the source. Second, the methodology. You've got to be following you know, the game. You've got to make sense in what you're trying to say. All right? So those are the two uh, conditions. All right. Sheikh Uthameen says, anyway, for the sake of argument, let's just assume that this hadith was authentic. Page 173 of the commentary. He goes, imagine that this was uh, authentic and let's look at it from a different way. Um, even if we were to assume this hadith to be authentic, it does not indicate that the لا يدل على أن المأموم لا قراءة عليه في السرية والجهرية وإنما يدل على أنه لا قراءة عليه في الصلاة الجهرية إذا سمعها من إمامه لأن قول, قول لأن قوله قراءة الإمام له قراءة يدل على أن المأموم استمع إليها فاكتفى بها عن قراءته. يعني what does the 
And what did Sheikh Uthameen say? He goes, even if we assume this hadith to be authentic, it's obvious what that hadith would mean. It wouldn't mean what they're saying. It would mean that, well, okay, if you can hear the qira'ah of the imam, then it's enough for you. So therefore, the actual application of this hadith, if it was a hadith that we could use, would be that in the loud prayers when you hear in the Maghrib and the Isha and the Fajr, when you hear the Imam, you don't need to recite because you're following it and it's basically his recitation, the recitation for you. As for this hadith applying to the Dhuhr and Asr, how can it be? Because you can't even hear the Qira of the Imam. So how can you be using this hadith? If you think about it, it's a good point. If you think about it, it's a good point. Um, then Sheikh says, according to me, the preponderant opinion the strongest opinion, al-rajih, in this issue is, and we spoke about this last year, that it is obligatory upon the follower to recite the, the Fatiha in all prayers at all times. And that is because of the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, that there is no prayer for the one who has not recited the opening of the book. The opening of the book is what? Surah Al-Fatiha. Now you will remember that Sheikh Uthameen's position, the only scholar that ever held this, well, I, I mean in general, obviously many have held it, but the main ones, is Imam al-Shafi'i, right? Imam al-Shafi'i and the madhab of the, of the Shafi'iyah, this is their strong, well-known position, that they are always reciting Fatiha. They are reciting Fatiha in the silent prayers behind the Imam, they are reciting Fatiha even in the loud prayers behind the Imam. You might turn to me and say, how are they reciting Fatiha in the loud prayers? They do it a number of different ways. They will either do it like, Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, like that. And this is called reciting in the sukut of the Imam. The sukut means the quiet parts of the Imam, the pauses of the Imam, the gaps of the Imam. So this is one of the ways that you will hear the Shafi'i is someone next to you, when they're in the prayer, they are following this hadith. They follow the opinion that there's no prayer unless you actually recite the Fatiha, even though the Imam has just recited it for me. So they do it in the gaps. The other way is the gap between the Fatiha and the Surah. The Fatiha and the Surah. You, you will have heard that. Everyone goes, Ameen. And then there's a gap. Now, most of us, when we hear that gap, we're like, my guy's thinking of what to recite. It's like yani, that jukebox, right? He's standing there at the jukebox and tuck and sh 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 put the CD in. Obviously, kids are like, we're not kids, millennials, Generation Z, X, whatever you are. They're like, when they hold jukeboxes. Stick to pause, all right? There's a computational delay. Washing machine, right? So, washing machine. Lala, gifts. Let's talk about gifts. iPhone 14 Pro Max, please. AirPod Pro new ones, please. And I watch Ultra. I was trying to get the name. You're welcome. All right. The delay of the Imam, even though for us it feels like it's a kind of processing of what sort of to recite, by many Imams it's an intentional gap. By many Imams it's an opportunity to allow those behind me to basically recite either because I'm merciful to those people who follow that opinion, or I'm merciful to myself because I don't want to be disturbed. Because that's what happened in the famous hadith in Bukhari, in where the Prophet ﷺ came out to pray Salatul Fajr, finished Salatul Fajr, 
turned around and saying, why are you guys you know, taking me on in the prayer? Why are you, you know, taking me on? Because the companions were reciting. In another version of the hadith, he said, who's reciting? They said, we were reciting. So the Prophet ﷺ said that do not recite when I'm reciting in the prayer because it's disturbing me. إِلَّا بِفَاتِحَةِ kitab In one version. Except that which is the opening of the book. Meaning Surah Al-Fatiha. Actually, that's their strongest evidence. That's Shaykh Uthaymin's strongest evidence. It's Imam al-Shafi'i's strongest evidence. And actually, it's very difficult to rebut. Because the hadith is clear. The Prophet ﷺ got upset. Told them, don't do that again. Don't compete with me. And then told them, except in Fatiha. Right? Now, there are some, I don't want to go into like level 10 discussions on this hadith and this, that, whatever. That's too deep and it will lose everybody. But the point is, is that's a pretty strong, clear evidence. And that's why there's no doubt that it's a safe position to adopt. That a person should recite the Fatiha even in a loud prayer. And you will then, but so an imam then giving you an opportunity. Now, you might say opportunity. You know the, uh, I don't know, in the Qira'a or the, or the Qira'at, a waqf between Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim but certainly in Hafs in the Qira'a of Hafs uh, or the Riwayah of Hafs um, it is a Sunnah to stop many people don't know that right they uh, uh, some this is not many scholars this is a, just a scholarly opinion so a person who says Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen, Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim, Maliki, Yawmiddini, Iyaka Na'abudu wa Iyaka Nasta'inu, Hdina Sirat Al-Mustaqeem, and carries on, makes Al-Wasal, meaning continuing. This is something which is uh, against the Sunnah, right? And I don't want to say this is a big thing, but the reason that they said that, they said is because when the companions narrated the Fatiha from the Prophet Sallallahu they said that he said, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, Maliki Yawmiddin, yani indicating that there's a pause in between. Another evidence for this pause is the famous hadith in Sahih Muslim. The hadith of Abu Huraira, those who have taken fiqh salah will remember this hadith and, and it's probably the most, uh, it's probably the greatest hadith about the prayer that there is. The conversation that you have with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Fatiha. And so the Prophet sallallahu said, that when the slave says, Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen, Allah turns to the angels and says, did you see that? My slave praised me. Right? Hamidani Abdi. So it's a conversation. Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. Allah turns to the angels and says, did you see that? Athna alayya Abdi. My slave extolled me. Right? So there's a conversation, and if you're going, where's the conversation? Now, the problem with that opinion is that we're entering too much human logic into the issue. This is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and there is absolutely nothing that prohibits the fact that there's a conversation happening, even if we're going a million miles an hour. Now, if you're not interested in the conversation, then there's no conversation. We know that from another hadith, that it's not Allah who turns away in the prayer, it's the slave who turns away in the prayer. Turns away means that their mind goes off to dinner, off to work, off to whatever. The prayer just goes, you know, empty actions. So Allah doesn't turn away. So it would indicate that actually the recitation, recitation of Fatiha in blocks is an uh, important uh, uh, point. Now, if therefore the Imam is following this Sunnah, then it gives a natural moment for the Imam to, uh, for the Ma'mum to recite. 
in the gaps or at the back as well because honestly as an imam it is so disturbing when there is specific noise it really is right it really really is and people don't take that seriously uh, it happened today for example in the maghrib prayer a mobile phone was going off now listen a mobile phone going off in the prayer is entirely normal we're all human we forget that we didn't put it on silent it's a simple uh, mistake that everybody makes everybody what's unforgivable what's unacceptable is that then that person does not turn the phone off that's disgraceful right your phone goes off for one or two seconds you turn it off and the imam is not too disturbed by that but you know what destroys a person's prayer the imam and the followers is that going on and on and on and on then it really becomes something big everybody didn't think of nothing but that everybody's hating on that person everybody's thinking what the fish is that person doing where is that phone are they any thinking of somebody else everybody's going into the whole conspiracy theories prayer is gone right all because this pack basically thinks i can't move or breathe and touch my phone habibi if your phone rings turn it off reach into your pocket turn it off if it's in front of you lean over keep your hand where it is lean over pick up your phone turn it off this is a reason by the way that there is a fiqh to telephones right it's good to have phones that have a physical button so that there's not having to look at the screen and fluff around just so you can feel turn it off it's good to have a uh, uh, to, to be aware of your phone and to to what's happening here Lala you're giving us diabetes or what bro I'm a rock you know that yeah I'm a rock okay a rock I will not be swayed by your by your let's have a look they were playing around the watermen and boys are back it's been a long time I just wallahi we missed you yara. wallahi yani. no we missed you more we missed you more honestly honestly we missed you more we missed you more oh my god not for you okay it's not good for you okay yeah no no I see you looking like this ah. you, can, you can uncle you can have donuts no problem yeah, we've got the other bad boys as well. By the way, can we start giving these out? Because otherwise, yeah, when are they going to be in? Because I'm not, I'm not that guy who says we do it after Isha when everybody's gone. There are some people who do that, by the way. Okay? I'm not that guy. Uh, I, the last time I did that, you know what happened in it? It went all over the place. Yeah, like give the, them the watermelon because they're nicer. And you lot, yeah, need to just do that one. You lot got the healthiest because, you know, thinking she has to give the chocolate over there. Where? Give those ladies there. The online folks can have the vegan, <laughs> vegan all sorts. What are you kids laughing? This is good for you. Yalla, Bismillah. All right, Timbers can stay right here. So, um, I'm sorry, by Aisha, Yani. I know that you know the days are back where you have to start ruling. Right. Uh, what was it? What was we saying? Oh. The telephone, some people they, they keep it in their pot in their in their jackets because it's less on you, it's not in front of you, whatever. You should never bring a phone and put it in your jacket. Because you either don't keep your jacket with you or you put your jacket and you wrap it up and you know when you're looking at it ringing, you can say you sit you look at it and you're like, Oh my god, this is not just a pickup job. I have to pick it up, look around, get in. There's no way I'm gonna get more cuss for that than turning the phone off. So you got to have a fiqh there. When you go to a masjid with a phone, 
keep it in your pocket. If not, then keep it in front of you. I'm telling you, I take responsibility, Yawm al Qiyam. Listen to me. Lean over, turn the phone off. Do not be scared. This is a permissible movement in the prayer. Every human being makes the mistake of leaving it on. Nobody would blame you. But if you keep looking at that flipping phone while it's ringing and we're all becoming yani, completely puzzled by it, we will hold you accountable, bro. All right. So, um, now, this hadith is interesting. I like it. La salat liman lam yaqra bi al kitab. Sheikh Uthameen says, La salah, there is no prayer, liman, not for he, not for he who does not recite the, the opening of the book, but for whoever, but for whoever does not recite the opening of the book. And by that, therefore, he means, Sheikh Uthameen says, this is my evidence to suggest that this refers not just to the imam, but it refers to the ma'moom, to the one who's praying by himself, to the one who's praying in jama'ah, meaning every single person has to recite uh, 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 the, uh, 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 the Fatiha and if they don't then there is no prayer uh, for them yeah in what sorry in the purse yeah yes yes even by the way the jacket but people don't have the confidence to do that and not only the confidence I also want to say that there is a fiqh there is a point here to consider when your phone is in an awkward area. And that is that if your phone is in your purse or in your jacket, you should still turn it off. But you're, you're, you're under now more pressure to not look like you're not praying. You've got to still have the feel of praying. And they, other people, should look at you and feel that you are praying. So therefore, what's going on is that... Um, in that kind of moment, if you are able to maintain one arm, for one hand, for example, um, or maintain kind of like a straight posture, you know, these kind of things where you do minimal movements. But yeah, you are allowed to move in and to, to go in and to do that. Anyway, um, Sheikh says, some people will say, especially like the Hanafis and the Hanabila, and, uh, and other people as well, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says وَإِذَا قُرِئَ الْقُرْآنُ فَاسْتَمِعُوا لَهُ وَأَنصِطُوا That when the Qur'an is recited, then listen to it intently and be silent. Listen intently and be silent. So how are you going to now recite? You get his point? Sheikh Uthameen is saying. They're going to argue that the ayah is the specifier, that the hadith is am, the hadith is general. But this Quranic ayah is specific. It makes it super clear that you are not allowed to do that. And we'll say, Sheikh Uthameen says, we'll say, yeah, this is true. This is correct. That the hadith is something which is am. But when a person is reciting out loud, then a person should listen to it. Other than, other than for the Fatiha. He's saying that makes sense. The Quran being recited, the surah, the rest of the prayer, you shouldn't be saying anything. And normally that would be the same for the Fatiha. But how am I going to deal with the hadith that says there is no prayer without the Fatiha? How am I going to deal with it? I accept your argument and I'm going to act by your argument. The ayah says be quiet and listen. So I am. But I still have to recite the Fatiha. Clearly the Fatiha hadith is specifying that is an exception to the ayah. 
Because that's also what the Prophet ﷺ said in the Fajr prayer when he turned around. He goes, don't do that. Don't recite when I'm reciting, except for the, uh, the Fatiha of the Kitab. Right? In the Hadith, I I'll just read this out for you just for the sake of uh, uh, reference. Hadith, I think, is in Bukhari. Okay? Although this narration isn't, all right? But the, the, the Prophet, uh, 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 where, where are we? Where are we? Where are we? Uh, the Prophet Sallallahu prayed Salatul Fajr. This is in the middle of page 174. He finished Salatul Fajr. And the recitations of people, يعني, you know, it was... So when he turned around, he said, That perhaps you guys are reciting behind your Imam. He like politely asked the question. You can hear all these voices. So he goes, perhaps you guys are reciting behind your imam. And they said, hey Allah, by Allah, yes. And he said, لا تفعلوا إلا بأم القرآن فإنه لا صلاة لمن لم يقرأ بها. Don't do that except with the mother of the book, Surah Fatiha, because there is no prayer for the one who does not do that. Think about that, we're going to have the adhan now, okay? Repeat after the, the uh, mu'adhin as is the sunnah. And then we're going to, Iqam is going to be in 10 minutes, okay? Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. Ashhadu Alright, I think what we're going to do is that we're going to pause there.
the dars. We're going to take questions for the next ten minutes. Uh, for the yeah, next ten minutes, and uh, uh, we've got a couple of important announcements as well. It's really important. Um, so we'll take questions online, and we'll take questions here. Uh, as for the sweets, all right, they're going to be here after Isha, so don't go without taking some. They'll be at the at the front. If you missed out on one type, you'll get another. Please focus on the vegan ones, yeah? Because surprisingly, we've got loads. Yeah? So then we want to see you take more then. Right. Um, so uh, the first is uh, lessons. So this year is going to be, I'm in between quite a few different places um, and not a very stable year as such. And so um, really important for you to be part of the Telegram group. Okay. Uh, everybody here in the masjid should be. And you can, the easiest way to join that is to, what is the easiest way? Huh? The easiest way is to download the app. Honestly, everybody should just have the app. If you type into your Android or your iPhone, prophetic guidance, okay, and you'll see the Arabic uh, square which says Al-Hadiyah Nabawi, you download it, you can read it in, in, the, in, the, in the description, you know it's ours, there's only one prophetic guidance one. Download the Prophetic Guidance app and that will give you a link direct to the Telegram group. In the Telegram group, you get the live updates on when the class is being moved, times being moved, and other, other important information. So please, everybody do that. In fact, if you haven't got Telegram app on your phone, do it now, please. Just yeah, and you put it into your app store, Prophetic Guidance, download the app, and join the Telegram group. Now, uh, we will announce this, but basically, the next few weeks, we're having different days. So next week, the dars is going to be here 8 p.m. Monday. So the dars is going to be 8 p.m. on Monday, inshallah. Not our usual day of Wednesday. All right, I am traveling. Um, on the week after, it's again going to be Monday at 8 p.m., but it's going to be 8 p.m. online. 8 p.m. UK time online. And for us, inshallah, inshallah. It will be live from Al-Aqsa, All right? So that's going to be the Monday after. 8 p.m., same time, UK time, 8 p.m., 10 p.m. for us over there. The week after is also going to be online, but it will be Wednesday, back to its normal time, uh, back to its normal day, but the time 8 is 8 p.m. again. So at least you've got consistency on the time. So the next three weeks is 8 p.m., 8 p.m., 8 p.m. Except that it's Monday in the masjid next week, and then the week after it's online, and on the week after that it's online, but on Wednesday, all right? Then the week after that, we're back in the masjid again. We're back here for a good while, and the, uh, the, the, the time will be after Isha. So the dars moves to this permanent time of after Isha. The first couple of weeks is obviously going to be around about uh, eight, like 8.39ish and then it's going to settle within a few weeks to its set time of 8 o'clock alright 8 o'clock on site 8.20 odd online and that's going to be then the rest of pretty much the entire academic year year 11 okay so that's the first announcement which is important the second announcement is you, you might have heard Sheikh Walid is visiting alright Sheikh Walid Basuni you know he's the the Sheikh and the Imam of Al-Maghrib um, and the uh, class that he's doing is on the fiqh of children and everything to do with children. And I highly encourage it. I'll be there as well, inshallah. Uh, 8th and 9th? Yeah? Uh, uh, Friday as well, or just 8th and 9th? Yeah, Friday. Friday as well. So 7th evening, 8th and 9th and venue confirmed? Yeah. 
No. So almagrib.org slash Manchester. Just keep in touch with that. With that. Um, you'll, you'll see then and you should enroll quick before obviously it gets too busy. Um, don't forget that. Make that a date. Every family should send at least some person, one person there. All right? Every family should send someone there as a representative because it's a much bigger, deeper, more important subject than you can you might have assumed before. There's different content to protect this house. Don't make the mistake that it's the same. Protect this house doesn't focus on children's fiqh, right? Uh, that's important. Those are the two important uh, ones. All right, questions, guys. We've got about five minutes for questions. Let's have a uh, uh, thingy. Big shout out to all of the people online. Romana up there in Yorkshire. Rohi from the States. And uh, all the Americans and Canadians. MashaAllah, Tabarakal Rahman. MashaAllah, awesome to see Amal there from Sheffield. And Rivers there from London and from the Philippines. MashaAllah, that's dedication. Yusuf, my guy from the States. Allahu Akbar. Sister Solange from Canada. And Naeem, yani, who's trying to do an inception on us yani, online and over there. Well done. Bilal from the States. Fiza, I think, in Hong Kong. Yeah. Mahbub, I think, in Qatar or maybe in Sweden right now. And Shazi, I think, in, uh, in Leicester. And Jiba in uh, uh, Dubai, uh, uh, UAE somewhere, Dubai. Maysara, I think, in Manchester still. Might have gone back to uh, uh, Thingy. Might have gone back to Malaysia. Auntie Shakila from the States. I saw your dua. I mean to your dua. What was, who was, I, I think I saw someone there uh, from uh, uh, Zara, I think, Leicester. MashaAllah. Burhan from the Midlands as well. Fahim from London. MashaAllah. We're going to be going Umrah soon. Baji Khalida from Memphis. MashaAllah. Ibrahim from London. Dean, I think, in Jordan. MashaAllah. We've got all the countries here. No, Sister Noreena from uh, Birmingham. Everybody. All right, any questions, guys? Questions? Yes. So, next week is when we're going to cover this. All right? Yeah, yeah. We're going to go into this. This is obviously a very important one. We're going to go in depth and we're going to talk about my position and the position of the scholars. Yes. Salam. Say that again. Yeah, yeah. So what about sisters who are praying at home and doing what, sorry? Yeah. Yeah. If you follow this opinion, whatever opinion you follow on the issue of reciting behind an imam, I should recite, not recite, be quiet, not quiet, which we're going to conclude next week, absolutely applies to the female congregation as well. It's not something linked to the masjid. It's linked to a congregation. It's linked to whenever there's an imam-follower relationship. Whether it's women, mixed, Male, whatever. All right? At home, masjid, anywhere else. Yeah. Uh, the photograph yes. said uh, to use sunnah at home previously and then they uh, say the prayers in the masjid. Yeah. Is he known that say the jama'ah today is 5.45 and the sunnah at home at 5.45? Can you still read the sunnah knowing that the, the jama'ah in the masjid will take 10? I think we covered that in the last one or two lessons of the previous year and now I know that I'm going to say something different to what I said in those lessons this was a dangerous question the question was that if it's 5.45 Fajr in the Masjid the Jama'ah and you're still at home right and you haven't prayed the Sunnah should you pray the Sunnah at home and come right because the Sunnah has to be done in order right and the answer is the same as what the texts are on the issue and all the Imams are on the issue that you cannot jeopardize the obligatory prayer for the Sunnah prayer so if a person knew that they were able to pray the sunnah at home and come to the masjid and make the jama'ah prayer, then that's what they should do. 
But if they know, and that's of course yeah, very, very unlikely that a person can do that and still make the jama'ah. But if they knew that they could, then that's something which is allowed. And maybe something which is good as well. Yeah. Yes. Um, a different country, for example, Egypt, compared to the UK. Um, what do you think about the timing of giving salam after the imam? The, the, the timing meaning the, the, the one who's following how much of a delay there should be. Yeah, so for example, in the UK, different people. Yeah, so this is a question concerning uh, well, when you follow the imam, what does it mean? Do you f act with the imam? So when the imam says, Salaamu Alaikum Rahmatullah, then you should also go, Salaamu Alaikum Rahmatullah. Is that what following is? And that's, of course, a difference of opinion with, uh, amongst the, the, the scholars. What is weak? What is definitely weak is to delay like a lot of the Arabs and the Shafi'is and so on do, to an extent where it becomes the Imam says, Salaamu Alaikum Rahmatullah, Salaamu Alaikum Rahmatullah, and then the guys behind are like, Salaamu Alaikum Rahmatullah, Salaamu Alaikum Rahmatullah, like a four, five second delay, which is unacceptable. And the other unacceptable mistake, which is more common from us, the Paks, the Hanafis, whatever, is that they get in front of the Imam. So the Imam says, Salaamu Alaikum Rahmatullah, and they're already there. And then the Imam says, and sometimes the Imam making a mistake is going, Assalamu you know, he's taking all his sweet time. And the guy behind is like, forget you, and he's like there. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? So that's a mistake on the Imam's behalf, but you've also got in front of the Imam. And the correct position is that you follow just after the Imam as a follower, but don't get in front of him. So he says, Salaamu Alaikum Rahmatullah, you should be doing it as well. He then says, Salaamu Alaikum Rahmatullah, you should be doing it as well, making sure you don't get in front. Okay? Probably have time for one more question, Cam. If you join the prayer late, yeah, and then you're, you're praying your own salah after the salam, if you if you make a mistake at that point, then do you still can you do so to the If you make a mistake in your own your new leading prayer, yeah. you are in a new prayer now. All mistakes now are dealt with. Like if you made the mistake yourself as the imam, mm -hmm. you've got to lead them in such sahu, Correct. It's a whole new unit now. It's a whole new structure. All right? Zakumullah khair, guys. Next Monday, 8 p.m. online, 8 p.m. here locally as well. Zakumullah khair. Uh, Maghrib actually will be about 7.30 odd, so just keep that in mind when you come to the masjid. But online, 8 p.m. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika shadu an la ilaha illa anta wa astaghfirukallahumma wa atubu ilayk. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.